0: As we look at our Heaven series, uh, last week we talked about why does Heaven matter, which didn't seem like that hard. But as we go into it, we often live our lives like it doesn't. And I think we we, we looked at how important that is. And that's really the world we we were made for in the first place. As you go through a series like this that's not verse by verse through a book, you you bounce around a little bit. We'll be in Revelation 20 in a bit if you want to turn there. Uh, most of the rest I'll have on on the screen for you. But as we take communion, you think about, we take this obviously because we believe in the grace of Christ and you you have to have that to have access to the Father. So today's sermon is is titled The Default Destination. What is the default destination? If all things being equal, you're born and you die, where do you end up? And this is an important question. There was a... uh, opinion poll done a couple years ago not too old and so for every one person who thinks they're going to hell in America 120 people think they're going to heaven uh, so i think that's a 120 to 1 ratio uh, which is pretty high uh but then you look at scripture this is in the sermon on the mount toward the end uh and If you have a Bible that has red letters, this is a red letter, meaning that we're pretty sure Jesus was saying this. He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now, I was a math major in college and uh, was an actuary for quite some time. So I know math pretty well and i couldn't find in any of my math textbooks where a 120 to 1 ratio where the 120 was the few and the 1 was the many so something's wrong here isn't it either the opinion's wrong or jesus is wrong you can make the call i'll make the call i think jesus is right here and when you look at it it doesn't give numbers we can try to interpret it away if we want but this is this is what we call sometimes a hard teaching jesus clearly says that many will lead to the go through the destruction. And we don't have to talk about ratios there, but I guarantee it's not 120 to 1 in favor of the narrow gate. Right? And so this is where we are. And we don't like this. I'm not sure I do. But again, when you're looking at Scripture and you're looking at why we're here and our purpose in heaven and Christ and all those things, it ultimately doesn't matter whether you like it, it matters whether it's true. Um, There's a lot of things in life, I I think, in my life, maybe in your life, that I don't like, but it's true. I just made estimated tax payments. I don't like that, but it was true. I mean, that's what you have to do. Uh, So again, this is where we, and sometimes hopefully, and I hope In each of your lives, as you get older, as you get more mature in the the Word and with Christ, you start thinking, you know, the things that are true are now the things that I like, or at least I accept, because this is the way God has done it. Because we have that. We've talked about that with the communion. We've talked about that in our songs. Aaron mentioned this in his prayer. You know, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is the situation you are in. This started in Genesis 3. When Adam and Eve decided to disobey, and everything changed. The nature of people changed. No longer innocent, but fallen, a problem. We've been using the word worthy. You know, are you worthy to take communion? Are you worthy to pray to the Father? Are you worthy to be in heaven? All things being equal, no. I don't know if we're really ever made worthy, but we're treated as worthy. In Isaiah 59, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. There is a problem. That's where we come into. This is the Christian theology. This is a Christian doctrine. There is a problem. If there's not a problem, you don't need the cross. If there is a problem we look for a solution. And there's many religions that give you solutions. But we need to start from what the problem is before you look at the solution. We have a sin problem. We have a separation problem. All things being equal, we are not children of God. We are not counted as his people. We are not blameless before him, and we have no business taking communion. (laughs) But we leave that up to you, right? That's the open communion way. But yeah, that's you come. You've got a problem, and you look in Revelation, 21, uh, Revelation 21, twenty one. Revelation twenty one, twenty twenty one and twenty two are kind of the end. This is the second coming has happened, and it's about the only, other than a, a little bit in First and Second Thessalonians, that really talk about this final state, which will hit really hard as we go through this heaven series. But in Revelation 21:27, it's talking about this. It's a metaphor, I think, to some extent, but this this holy city coming down out of heaven, the new heaven and the new earth, and this city, this new Jerusalem, is the is is essentially a metaphor for the new heaven and the new earth. And it talks about what's there, and you get the tree of life, and the sin is gone, and no, no, no pain, and no sighing, and no crying, and this is a really nice place. Um, but at the end, but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anything, anyone who does what is detestable or false. Now, if you stop there, this would not be good news. Because I think just after we read Romans 3, we're all people who do things detestable and false. But only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So it would be really good to know how the heck you get in there. How do I get into this book The book is is talked about in Ephesians. It's talked about in the Old Testament. But the place it's probably talked about the most is just a chapter before that, what we call the Great White Throne Judgment. And again, when I say metaphor, I don't mean this isn't happening. It's just got more to it than what's there. You know, I don't know if there's a book up there. That's not really the point. I mean, it might be an iPad now. I don't know. It's that there's a record God doesn't need a book to do this, but it helps us understand and then in verse tw- verse twelve here is then I saw the dead this is after this is after the second coming, I saw the dead great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open, so we got lots of books. then another book was open, which is the book of life so if you can kind of look at this, you got books, and then you got this one book, and we just read that you got to be in the one book, right and we' we want to know how to get in that, but what are these other books? Well, we'll read on, but it, it, it's essentially list of what you did. You all have a book. You know, I don't know if it's like, if it's blue ink if you did something good and red ink if you did something bad. I don't know how that works. And I'm always a little bit worried that other people can see my book. And I don't know if that's that way. I, I wouldn't worry about that too much, but So books were open, and you've got the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books. So think about your book. Uh, Is there anything in there that you wish wasn't in your book? Uh, We have to be careful, especially as Christians, not to demean ourselves too much as if it's a good thing. You know, we do that sometimes. It's like somebody says, well, yeah, I really messed up. Yeah, we're all sinners. It's like we all messed up. Isn't that great? Well, it's not good. It's true, and it's nice to be humble, but it's not the goal. I don't know if you noticed that. Jesus didn't say, you know, come to me, all you who are you ever laden, and sin a lot. You know, there's still grace, it's, but the goal is not to sin. Um, but we have an advocate if we do. It's always a good thing. So if you think about your, you're going to get judged, and we start to find out that it's not a karma religion. You know, karma is this balance thing. You know, good karma, bad karma. It's kind of an eastern thing. Have you done more good things than bad? And if the scale tips, then you kind of slide into heaven. But if you've done more bad things than good, the scale tips, and you slide into hell. Well, if we didn't have this book of life, we might think that. But there's something going on here. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. So it's, everybody's getting judged, everybody from the dawn of time. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. So at this point, we're like, this is not good news. This would be the bad news because the ratio would be everyone's in trouble, right? Because even if you have one blot on your book, you're not worthy. Because Jesus didn't have any blot in his book. And the Father doesn't have any blots on his book. And neither does the Spirit or any of the holy angels. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And it doesn't look good until you get to verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's the key. You can do what you want with this. With many of you, you've got your book. You know, I'll have my book. I don't know where my karma is, um, but if 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 I they take my book, you know, the father can look at it and say, you know, you've done things wrong. You're not worthy to enter. But I think maybe Jesus is over here. Well, I No, he is. He'd be on the right hand of the Father, and he opens the book of life. He says, "Wait, Dad." His book, his name's in here too. And then the I just see the book just disintegrating. Come to me, you know. That's the the idea here. Did I deserve it? No. It's grace, always grace. That's what this teaches. And you see it, but the destruction is you either get judged by your book or his. And that's what we have to remember. You see this in the parable of the weeds. The kingdom parables in Matthew 13, and he's interpreting this for the disciples. He said, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. You get the weeds and the wheat. The weeds are the ones that are going to get burned. The wheat is the one bearing fruit, those that get saved. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. It's similar to what we see here in Revelation. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. It's the same, it's a different metaphor. Are you wheat or are you tares or weeds? And what happens to the weeds at the end of the age? Judgment. And as you've probably heard, you don't want God's judgment. That's what this is all about. But what's your default destination? It is, and all things being equal, where do you end up without the faith? without accepting the grace." So when you read these, does it look like hell is real? Or is this just some sort of metaphor? Many deny that hell is real. Has anybody been there? No, I'm just not rhetorical. Have you you know, I've not been there. I'm not planning on going. Um, but just because, has anybody been to heaven? You know, it happened a few times in the Bible, I guess. So why would we think it is real? Who's the one that says the most about hell being real in the Bible? It's Jesus. And this is something to always remember. We talked about this in the Bible study too. If you have a theology that people don't like, like if you went to, and I'm not saying to start conversations this way, but if you go to lunch and you, somebody that you're talking to says, you know, and you say, hey, I think you're going to hell. Don't start conversations that way. But if you start talking about that, if they said, well, how could you believe in hell? And they might even say something kind of spiritual. Well, you know, God loves us. He wouldn't send somebody to hell, which logically makes sense. It just biblically doesn't make sense. And I would say the same thing I say with most of this stuff. Jesus thought it was real, and I'm going to agree with him. And if you don't like it, maybe you should take it up with him. (laughs) I'm not sure I like it either. I, I mean, but I don't, again, doesn't matter if we like it, it matters if it's true. Look what he says in Mark 9, and if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands and go to hell to the unquenchable fire. Did he think it was real? You know, and I think this is metaphoric in that if your hand's causing you to do something, you don't have to cut it off, but quit doing it. Uh, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, quit lucking. If your feet cause you sin, quit going. I mean, I don't think you literally have to go I mean, if you can if you want, I guess, but I don't think that's the point. He's talking about self maiming here. He's talking about making wise choices and keeping yourself out of temptation. So is hell real? I think the only way that you could believe that hell wasn't real is if you didn't believe the Bible. And that's certainly possible. You can believe whatever you want. But again, is it true? Are you ready to stake your eternal destination on thinking, well, yeah, I, I think I'm good. Yeah, many do. Sounds like about 120 to 1 do. <laughs> and that's a little problematic. But if you think about it, if we get rid of hell, we must logically quit trusting Jesus, Right? This this happens, and I'm now. I mean, you think about people, I, I, I think about people I know who died, and I, I know they believed. We talked about some of that last week, about imagining that, and I think that's good, I think that's very good. We got some some ideas of what heaven is like. But the little harder one is thinking about someone that, you know, didn't lead a completely evil life. I mean, and but they're in hell? I don't know if I like that. But again, that slippery slope happens and that's why you do have even Christian churches that teach it doesn't exist because it just isn't palatable for people. I realize that. Or you might not even like the fact that your default destination is hell if you don't believe. But again, you got to teach what is true. C.S. Lewis, I have met no people who fully disbelieved in hell and also had a living and life-giving belief in heaven. I hope the only reason you don't you believe in Jesus is not just to get out of hell. You know, I was called to get-out-of-hell free card. That's good. You do get that. But I hope you want more than that. I hope you want what Jesus is offering. So it really comes down to this. For ourselves or whether you're preaching or teaching or talking to somebody at lunch, what is more loving, warning people about hell or not? What does it come down to? Whether it's true or not. If I go out and tell people they're going to go to hell because they don't believe in Jesus, and it's not true, that's just mean. Self serving. I might even ask them to maybe they need to donate to my church because they're going to go to hell if they don't, which wouldn't be true. Um, I don't think that's a cheerful giver. <laughs> <laughs> The only reason you give anything, time, money, to the church is because you want to get out of hell. And you might think for more reasons. It's okay, I guess, but it's a little bit morbid. So for a person to go to hell it requires no change, of course. <laughs> That's the problem. It's kind of like the, uh, you've, had that, you've heard that. Uh, I've never done this. I don't know, has anybody ever done this, where you put, you take just room temperature water and you put a frog in it, and then you turn it up a little bit. You get about a 100, 110, ten, one two. to know about three hours. Eventually, gets to two twelve, and the frog doesn't even know it, because it's slow. And that's you know sometimes we skate through life that way. People tell oh, you're okay, you're you're better than other people. Well, sure, you know Hitler's in hell, but and, and you know maybe Judas, but other than that, the road to life is narrow. If you find it. But look at John 8. Jesus is in the temple here. He's talking to some leaders and some people. And I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he. He's talking about the Messiah. The only way you will die in your sins. Default destination. Right? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's fairly strong language. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? And what difference it make if you are successful here, if your eternal destination is away from God? So uh, that was the part of the sermon that kind of makes you squirm in your seat a little bit. Now we're going to get to the fun part. Not that the first part wasn't fun, but... How do you know you're going to heaven? Wouldn't that be good to know? How do you know it? Or can you know it? You know, some people say you can't know it. Well, what did the the Apostle John seem to think that? He wrote this in his first letter. He wrote this, uh, and we'll end with that little piece here uh, toward the end of his gospel. He says in chapter 5 of of 1 John, I write these things to you who believe in the name of Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So does John think you can know it? And how do you know it? Believing in the things that he wrote. We've read a lot of it already, right? Just that 14.6, that's a memory. Remember that one, right? It's not that hard. You know, Thomas asked him a question, you know, where the heck are you going? We don't understand what's going on. I I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's very strong. But it's very cool, isn't it? you can know. It's like, for some reason, some people think, well, I want multiple ways. Well, it seems like there's only one. I'm sorry, you know. Well, actually, I'm not sorry. It seems like that's the way it was always set up. So you see that. And, And so what happens to the sin, the books, and how does this work? For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There Paul is using the w- using the word grace, but he's using free gift, which is a synonym for grace. How much does it cost? I get a lot of mileage out of the name of our church. You know, Grace Church is kind of our stage name or whatever we call it, but we're, you know, Grace Evangelical Free Church. And I like to use the free. The free really comes from the fact that back in Scandinavia in the 19th century, a bunch of people who were part uh, trying to start their own church in Scandinavia. It was illegal. They were getting arrested because they, they weren't going to the state church. And they finally made their way actually to Boone, Iowa and became a free church. We're free from the government telling us what to believe. And that's part of what America has always been. But you think about this, we can also use free in other ways. I, I talked to somebody the other day. I said, you know, it doesn't cost anything. To come here. It's free. Well, Eternal life is free, too. It's free. It's a free gift. How much does it cost? It's free. Well, what do I pay? It's free. How many times do we have to say this, you know? Well, there's got to be something. You know, you go in somewhere, and you're going to bu- get something, and you've got whatever it is, the widget you're buying. And the one that's free, you're like, well, I can't be worth anything. I'm going to get the one that costs something, because that's probably a better widget, Right? So we sometimes cheapen it, but think about it, it, Bonhoeffer said this, you know, the grace of Christ is free to you, but it wasn't cheap because it cost God his own son. It costs a lot, you just don't have enough money to pay for it, you never will. I mean, I look around here and there's a lot of people who do a lot of good things for Christ. And that's great. I'm glad you do. It's obedience. It's what we're trying to do. That's what we were created to do. But you're, none of you are impressing God. It's like, well, I've never seen that before. Although maybe today he's like, that was a really good sermon. I've never seen one like that. Before. I probably not. <laughs> we don't impress him, but we can make him proud. That's kind of what we're trying to do. But it's free. That's, that Hit that. 623. It's not that hard. You get 323 that tells us that you got a problem. 623 says this is what, how you... Solved the problem. Psalm 103, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. He's talking about followers of Yahweh. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Realize he's got the keys to hell. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That's a good verse, isn't it? And then back to John. How do we know? Can we know? These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. He thinks you can know. I think you can know. And one of the best ways to do that, do you want to honor God with your life? And when you sin, do you feel guilty? And where do you run when you sin? Run to the cross. That's it. And and maybe there might be maybe one time you think that for a second. Don't worry about that. That's the enemy telling you. The enemy is going to tell you you're not worth anything. You can't get there. You're not worthy. Right, we're not worthy, but we can get there. That's so clear. And remember, true faith in Christ is personal. You're not going to get to heaven in, on, in grandma's shoes, as the song says. But it's not private. That's a problem in our culture. It's not just where can I worship to help myself, which is great. That's part of it. Where can I, it's where can I learn, where can I get closer to Jesus, and where can I use the gifts and talents he's given me uniquely to help the body of Christ. It's, oh, it's all those things, and that's why in Hebrews 10 we're told, let's not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. We can't encourage people if they're not here. You can't serve if you don't use your gifts. It's both, you know, to paraphrase one of our presidents, you know, it's not so much what the church can do for you, but what, what can you do for the church? I think it's both. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail again. It's the church, it's the people, the gathered. It's, this means gathering of believers, is all that word means, ecclesia. It's because we help each other. We're supposed to do it. That church is not, you now. individuals, you're going to get picked off. We're seeing it. Get into weird stuff because you have nothing to correct it. So what happened when the church started and we had these 3,000 people come to faith? All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. This is what we do here. Well, this is what any church does. And if you're bored, you're doing it wrong. I know this isn't boring. You're all having fun now. But it was fun last night. It was, it, it, it's always, it's again, what are we doing? This is what it means to love each other, right? It's to be a church, to be together, and to tell other people that don't know about him. So the Bible always teaches two options. It's always what happens. It's the way, it's always, I call it, you know, kind of back to my, my uh, math roots, it's binary, See, there's zero hell or one heaven. There's nothing in between, ever taught. You know, some teach there's other chances, and, you know, you can teach all you want. That's just not in there. If God wants to give you a second chance, let him do it. He doesn't, I'm not going to teach that because what if you're wrong? <laughs> Today is a good day to believe. So you go to hell by default because we're fallen. You go to heaven by faith. Ephesians 8, 9, this is one we use a lot. By grace you are saved and have been saved through faith. It's faith that activates it, but it's not earned. It's a free gift. You just have to take the gift. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. And we had Romans three twenty three. What about, it says, for everyone has sinned and has fallen short of the glorious standard of God, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. I've noticed this is really good stuff. You just get into it. So I want to end with reading this. Uh, this is from The Silver Chair again. We looked at that. It's a fictional work by C.S. Lewis. You've got this young girl, Jill, who has entered a, a strange wood in this land of Narnia. It's fiction. And her friend Eustace uh, scrub is with him, but due to poor judgment... Uh, Jill finds herself alone and separated from Eustace, and she's very thirsty to the point of dying of thirst. She's walking in search of water, and she finds a stream but stops dead in her tracks, and this is what Lewis writes. But although the sight of water made her feel ten times thirstier than before, she didn't rush forward and drink. She stood as still as she had been turned into stone with her mouth wide open And she had a very good reason. Just on the other side of the stream lay the lion. If I run away, it'll be after me in a moment, Jill thought. And if I go on, I shall run straight into its mouth. Anyway, she couldn't have moved if she had tried, and she couldn't take her eyes off it. How long this lasted, she could not be sure, it seemed like hours, and the thirst became so bad that she almost felt she would not mind being eaten by the lion, if only she could be sure of getting a mouthful of water first. If you are thirsty, you may drink. For a second she stared here and there, wondering who had spoken, then the voice said again, if you are thirsty, come and drink. It was deeper, wider, and stronger, sort of heavy, golden voice. It did not make her any less frightened than she had been before, but it made her frightened in a rather different way. You are not thirsty, said the lion. I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I? Could I? Would you mind going away while I do, said Jill. The lion answered this only with a look and a very low growl. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I come, said Jill. I make no promise, said the lion. I daren't come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh, dear, said Jill, coming another step near. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream. Said the lion. You know, Jesus says, Come, I give you the living water. There is no other stream. But this is good news because you all know where that stream is. And it's more than just getting out of hell, it's getting into heaven and following and being eternally with the one who created you to be that way in the first place. Let us pray. Father, help us remember there is no other stream. This is good news. This is news that uh, everyone needs, news that you have made a way out of unworthiness to worthiness by your Son. May we always remember that, whether we're taking communion or worshiping with song or looking into your word. May we not look at it as something bad, but as what it really is, the gospel, the good news that you have given us, not only what is sufficient and necessary, but what gives us life and makes this life each day better because we know and have hope in what you teach. May each one of us remember that as we go forward and look only to you for salvation, serving you every day.